Tomorrow I'll be quicker. I'll stare into the strobe light, flicker and afloat. I'll stay. But I'm quite alright hiding today. Tomorrow I'll be faster. I'll catch what I've been chasing after and have time to play. Good morning, and welcome to episode 456 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the BaseballReference.com Play Index. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined as always by Sam Miller. How 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 excited are you to be saying an out of sequence, or I guess an out of what? How would how would you say it? A, a non multiple of five number for the last time. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna save that excellent news for everyone at the end of the episode. But yes, we will be taking off next Monday show, which means that we will be back on multiples of five. We'll be ending each week on a, on an episode number that is a multiple of five. What's it been? Seven months? Eight months? <sighs> Can't have been that long. It's been a while though. But we, we're looking for looking at a, a blissful, blissful June of multiples of five coming up. So. So that's something to look forward to, if you care about that sort of thing. There's, we have many listeners who have no idea what you're even talking about. That's how long it's been. I know. Is that we, have had, we have a whole generation of new listeners who are completely baffled right now. <laughs> and lots of old listeners who are still baffled that I care about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so while we're... While we're alienating listeners, I guess we can do our, our daily update on Ryan Webb and Matt Albers. We didn't get to do one yesterday because we had Stan Conti on. So Ryan Webb finished a game without a save on Wednesday, which takes him to 81 career. So he's now two behind Matt Albers, the idol Matt Albers, who uh, has got to you've got to think that he's he's rushing back to try to preserve his lead. And I also I experienced a moment of uncertainty earlier when I thought maybe one of these guys has had a save opportunity at some point and just blew it uh, because Albers has 18 career blown saves and Webb has nine. And of course, most of them are the, the kind of blown save that comes in the sixth or seventh or eighth inning. Um, but you you went back. Did you what did you do? Did you comb through game logs or something? Nope. Uh, baseball reference. uh particular baseball reference play index trick mm-hmm. that lets you uh, look at a player's games and you can sort by decision uh, or I guess you can filter by decision so I filtered by blown save and, and just skimmed the innings that they entered which mm-hmm. is uh, one of the columns and mm-hmm. uh, none of them had entered the ninth inning of a game that they'd blown a save in yes so they have not had a chance and squandered it they have never had a chance mm-hmm. um, was there any banter that you wanted to bring um, no, yeah. uh, I, there isn't, I, right now I'm, <laughs> right now, right now I'm looking to see when our last multiple of five was. It looks like it was, it looks like it was probably December 27th. <laughs> I remember it well. Um, the last, the last and longest show of 2013. Remember that one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That went like two hours. Not quite. So there was uh, one other thing. We talked recently about running to first and the hustle scale and whether you are whether you should be allowed to jog to first to preserve your health. And I said something about how I would never want my pitchers to sprint to first to try to beat out a base hit. And that happened to 
Giants pitcher Santiago Casilla, uh, who who sprinted to first, trying to beat out a hit while the Giants had a four-run lead in the ninth inning, and he stumbled over the bag, uh, and he he tripped and he hurt himself, and I don't know how serious it is, but. He had you know. been ordered. He had been ordered not to swing. Yes, so that's the funny thing. He had been ordered not to swing, and yet he not only swung, but he did his best to beat out the hit. And I, I was thinking, maybe he figured this was his only chance to get a hit. Maybe he wanted one career hit. No, he already has one. 2012, he had a hit. So not even that. Um, and so Bruce Bochy said that he would now make it a rule for his pitchers to jog, and not try to beat out hits. So that's my recommendation. There was a moment during the Marlins Phillies game today when Dom Brown grounded to the pitcher, Henderson Alvarez and uh, Henderson Alvarez very showily kind of took his time. Like he sort of like he, he almost yawned. Like he almost (laughs) did a yawn and stretch. Like he didn't, but he did the equivalent of it. Like, in a year, I will swear that he had yawned and stretched because that's what it—that's so what it—it it kind of reminded me of. And he, you know, sort of took his time, and and then Dom Brown kind of took his time and <laughs> jogged ever so slowly toward toward first base. And Alvarez finally, like you know, wound up and flung a obligatory throw over to first. The throw was just absolutely awful. <laughs> Pulled the bat. It was like ten feet off the bag, and the first baseman had to like, run and catch it, and Dom Brown was just sort of, like, slowly jogging and jogged slowly right into the tag. It was, like, this great no-hustle-off. It was this incredible no-hustle-off between two champion non-hustlers. <laughs> it was really wonderful. It was It was actually it changed my mind about the whole thing. It was delightful. <laughs> the best part of the Casilla play, and I just sent you the gif, is that you know how when there's a close play at first, the first base coach invariably puts his hands up in the safe side? Yeah, yeah. Or, or maybe maybe he doesn't do it anymore because now you could <laughs> now you can you could actually challenge plays now so they don't have to do the safe sign and maybe they wouldn't want to because they wouldn't want to confuse their manager and tell them that they think he should review it if they don't actually. Anyway, this time Hensley Mullins, who's the first base coach for the Giants, did the he did the putting his arm up motion, but it was like a it was a questioning motion. It he was he was not making a safe sign. He was just throwing his hands up and shaking his head <laughs> while Casilla like, like writhed on the ground. <laughs> I like every part of this this picture. I like the umpire mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, who sort of ha- like he hasn't given his out call, so he has to give his out call, but he's just sort of amusedly staring at this guy who just fell down. Mm-hmm. And I like that, I guess it, because there's two outs, the defense is just jogging toward the toward their dugout. But I like how the second baseman just sort of seems to be jogging off in, <laughs> into nowhere. So <laughs> yeah, this is a good gift. Latest, so this is the latest edition of Ben and Sam watch a video that none of you are watching and laugh about it. A good uh, gif is one where you keep where you watch it ten times, and every time you sort of hope there's one extra second. Yeah. <laughs> and this is that one. I just keep on hoping that they'll go one second longer this time. <laughs> I'll put a I'll put a link in the Facebook group so that we're not tormenting everyone. Um, another thing, position player pitching update. I feel like we need one because the other day I made an offhand remark that it seemed like there had been more position players pitching this year. Ben, you're stalling, aren't you? You don't have an no, idea. No, I've got an actual topic. All right. Um, but this is this is quality banter. Um, 
so so there have been uh, and actually the there were 14 position player pitchers last season which was the most ever the previous record had been 12 which had been tied a few times um, and we are up to 11 already this season yeah there was Not a even... seven seven inning one today which would have yes. been unimaginable in my youth a seven seven run one you mean? a seven uh, yeah seven yeah a seven a seven run one I actually looked at that also with the help of Andrew Koo from BP. We looked at the the average deficit when a position player enters the game. And it's actually not that different this year. Historically, using the like a weighted average of, of when these guys enter the game, the deficit in non-extra inning games has been 10.2 runs. Uh, so that the team that has the position player pitcher is is down by over 10 runs. This year, it's it's about the same. It's nine point five. Yeah. There there have been a couple couple lower ones, but it's not dramatically different. So anyway, I don't know. What do you think it means? Is it just the just the relief pitcher usage? Is there just so many relievers being used that and and facing fewer batters, getting fewer outs, that teams are just placed in a position where they are desperate to do this, they have to do it, or is it that they now acknowledge that they should do it because it's I mean, the Astros, Ben. This is the this is look. This is the Astros. It was the Tigers today? No, I know, but this is any worse with a knuckleball. This is the culture of the Astros. Oh, I see. That is, that is slowly being absorbed in in different areas. I mean, it's the idea that now all teams are 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 embracing it at some point or another. That there is absolutely no point in expending any resources <laughs> on a game that you're not going to win or a season that you're not going to win. And that, that, I mean, this is basically uh, saying that you save all of your resources for the moment when it counts. And that the point um, uh, that, that the idea of putting on a good show for your fans is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And that, that might be, I I don't have an, you know, that's fine. That's, this is, these are people whose job is to win games. Mm -hmm. It's also (laughs) to put on a good show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why a lot of people are mad at this, but I, I think it's the same basic idea. I think there's, there's an idea that like, you know, we're all, we're all, um, we're all, uh, we're all our most efficient machines now We're we have to be as efficient as possible. And, uh, you know, they don't owe us anything. They are only playing to, to win. And it doesn't make any sense to expend a, a, a single drop of a precious resource on a lost cause. And it's true, right? If you, I mean, if you, somehow calculated the the optimal yeah. usage here, you'd probably use more position player pitchers. Because whether oh, yes. you're whether you're yeah. down by seven or eight or nine or whatever it is in the ninth inning, your odds of coming back are just, I mean, you know, one in a thousand, one in many thousands. So yeah, you no, might as well. It's true. If you if you're you know, I mean if 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 you're well, I don't I don't quite know how to phrase this, but yeah, I mean it, it is true. It is it is the optimal way to, to use things. Uh, so back in the like 1900s, uh, back when baseball wasn't baseball, you know, back when it was some weird thing, right. uh, they played before, the bottom of the, before 1980s. They played, they played the bottom of the ninth, no matter what. Did uh-huh. you know that? No. Yeah, they mm. they actually even if you had won the game already, they would play <laughs> the bottom of the ninth. And mm-hmm. so I just read this book um, that I liked a lot, and that I'm, I might try to write about by Scott Simkus called Outsider Baseball. And this is not where I learned that. Um, but I thought about that fact while I was reading it because uh, it's all about sort of uh, all the outside of the official Major League Baseball 
during the the end of last century, uh, end of the 19th century, and, and the first half of the 20th century. And it's really interesting because such a huge part of these guys' uh, careers and, and livelihood was playing games that didn't matter. They, there were just so many barnstorming tours, you know? Babe Ruth hit like 300 home runs that didn't count in his career because he was just constantly playing these barnstorming tours and putting together his all-star teams to go play, you know, Negro Leaguers or college teams or, or whatever. And, um, or, you know, like the, the entire Yankees team would play, you know, these like for-profit off-season games against some semi-pro team. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting to think that there was a lot of baseball that was played uh, at a high competition level with a high degree of uh, intensity that did not uh, have anything to do with the World Series. And at this point, we live in a world where all baseball, all professional baseball played in America. Every game only matters in as much as it affects the uh, the parent organization's chances of winning the World Series. And mm-hmm. nothing else matters. Mm-hmm. And so that's... That's interesting. I mean, to me, that's really interesting that we've gotten to this point where it has gotten sort of more and more serious and more and more, I guess, more and more lucrative and more and more professionalized uh, as as the game is, has, has been around. And so now we're to a point where you basically have, um, you know, an entire industry with like hundreds of teams, hundreds of teams, yeah, hundreds of teams that uh, every pitch that is thrown in every one of those games exists only to advance the parent organization's chances of winning a World Series at some point, and mm-hmm. so I think I think that's why you get Don Kelly or uh, who, who, who Danny Danny Worth Danny Worth, Danny Worth pitching. Uh, I mean, I made a joke about it when it was nine nothing because it was like nine nothing in the third, and just I already would have bet anything that there was going to be a position player pitching in that game. But we forget maybe that it was not long ago that I mean, in two thousand six, there were. Zero position player pitchers. Not wow. One, not one of them pitched. Not one of them. In 2005, there was one. So two season span, one position player pitcher. Huh. And in you know 2008, there were three. Or 2003, there was one. I mean, it 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 has not been a a linear rise. I mean, there there were years where there were more in the past 20 years ago, but. But there have been years up until recently where where there just weren't any year. There were very few. And now, I mean, it's useless to do on pace because I don't think we're actually going to finish with 40-something position player pitchers this year. Do but, you really not? You don't think so? <laughs> I don't think so. Well, I mean, you that would just be a, such a, a well, sudden September, change. you got to take out September because there will be none in September because you have expanded rosters. So mm. in, in a, if you did a, pay, a five-month right. pace, right. But, it I wouldn't mean, shock me. Well, it would sh- it would shock me. In 2012, there were there were 12, which tied for the most ever. It was the third time there had been 12 in the last I don't know since 77 was when we looked. And then in 2013, there were 14, which was a new high, but only by two. So I'd be shocked if it if it suddenly tripled this year. But this is how it works. One manager sees that this is I mean this is the culture. It's a cultural shift. Hmm. I think that if there's a if I had to guess what's the difference between 2005 and 2006 and now, I wonder if it might be that it took that long for everybody to forget about Jose Canseco. <laughs> like I think there were a lot of managers a decade uh-huh. ago who thought it was really risky to let a pitcher do this, a position player do this. Maybe and it is. I don't know. Maybe it is. It, it could be that it really is, but mm-hmm. my my guess is that it's not very risky. 
but mm. that there were a lot of managers who thought it was, and it was seen as being somewhat reckless that it was that it was like putting somebody at risk for kind of like a lark. And now I don't really feel like that's the case at all. You just sort of tell the guy, well, don't you know, don't overextend yourself. Uh, and you know, you very rarely see stars, right? Or, or even good pitchers doing it. But I feel uh, like that was probably always pretty uncommon to see someone of Canseco's caliber at that time. Pitching. Yeah, prob- probably. Um, so, but uh, do you think that that it there will come a point soon where this loses its luster for us? Is is its rarity why we care so much about it? If there really are 30, 40 of these in a year, will we? You know, will Twitter actually go crazy every time? Uh, I kind of quit like, uh, like three weeks ago, I quit caring. Uh-huh. So I guess so. I mean, if I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm very quick to quit caring about something. <laughs> I mean, I am the first person to quit caring about things that we should still care about. So mm-hmm. I'm the canary in the coal mine though, right? If, mm-hmm. if I've quit caring, then yeah, everybody else will quit caring soon enough. Um, I'll care as long as the, the guy comes out and throws a knuckleball and strikes out two batters <laughs> like Danny Worth did, but. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure what I'm, see, I think that's why I quit caring is I'm not sure what I'm looking to see anymore. I actually am, um, I don't really care to see the knuckleball anymore. Uh, if I saw a guy who was really dominant, I'd be interested, but more what I'm interested in seeing is the guy who gives up like 11 runs and has to wear it. And that, that just never seems to happen. I, I kind of quit hoping to see the guy who gives up like six home runs in a row, which is what I want. I want to see. Um, I basically want to see big league hitters batting off of a toddler. And since that never happens, I've kind of lost a little bit of, of interest. I, like I didn't click over to see worth. I knew worth was pitching today and Mm -hmm. I, I didn't click over. I think I, I think I, I think I stayed on giants, Rockies rain delay (laughs) (laughs) instead. (laughs) Game could have started again. Exactly. (laughs) By the way, there's a, there's a video of Drew Butera playing dodgeball against a group of kids and just, oh, just I, annihilating them. I saw a reference to that, but I didn't say that it was Drew Butera. It's a, yes. It was, a, it, it was a segment from MLB Off the Bat, which is a show that I am DVRing and watching religiously and even wrote about it for Grantland because I think it's really fun and you should be watching it. It's on, ML, it's on uh, MTV2. And it's the strangest marriage of baseball and like hip hop and it's hosted by Fat Joe and <laughs> and three other people and Oh I I read a New Yorker talk of the town about this the other day. CC Sabathia was in it. Yes, it's Yeah, I re- I read that. Very poorly edited, <laughs> very poorly produced, but uh, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. I who's the other guy? Is this who, who's with him? Is this D Gordon? Uh yeah, D Gordon. Does D Gordon not destroy little kids? <laughs> they didn't show D Gordon firing it the way that Drew Butera was. I how how much of an advantage do you think a big leaguer would have in dodgeball? Because I'm a pretty good dodgeball player. Yeah. And if you if you ask me to bet, uh, like 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 okay, so uh, Yasiel Puig is an 80 at everything, and I'm a 20 at everything in baseball. Mm-hmm. But if you ask me to bet, I would guess. Like he's a sixty-five and I'm a fifty-five in dodgeball. Like I would think it's pretty close. Like I think I could win one out of three games. Um, I don't think so. You don't think? I think the gap is is narrower, but I I mean that arm. Plus he's he's got to be more athletic. He's got to be able to to get out of the way and catch everything. Uh huh. And throw really hard. <laughs> so 
I don't know if he. I, how hard? So how hard was? Because what? How old were the kids that Butera was playing against? Uh, I think it was an elementary school. Yeah. So any adult could destroy elementary school kids at dodgeball. How hard do they throw? Because the thing that I think that a big part of what, um, what you know, good throwers do in baseball. It's it's in the forearm. It's in the grip. It's in the hands. Mm. And dodgeball takes out you know a third of your arm or maybe two thirds of your arm. It basically it's all it's all shoulder. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know that there's a huge difference. I mean, there's so much technique in dodgeball throwing that's not forearm and grip related. So mm. I don't know. I think maybe one and three is a bit much, but I bet I could I bet I could be clean. <laughs> I'd like to see that happen someday. Um, okay. Oh, by the way, Sean Foreman from Baseball Reference, a man with his finger on the pulse, has added an option to the play index now in the pitching game finder where you can now search for position player pitcher games. There's a there's a new checkbox that, that says typically a position player, and you can check that to find pitching games by position players. So uh-huh. good. good. Good stuff. Play index gets even better. Um, all right. So... I guess we can get to my topic now. The topic that I want to talk about was inspired by the the Prince Fielder injury. So the latest of many, many injuries for the Rangers this year, Prince Fielder is having season-ending surgery uh, to fix a herniated disc or uh, cervical something or other. Um, Cervical? uh, Yes. Cervical? Yes. Really? Oh, Prince yes. Fielder has a cervix? Not not the same thing. Um, but yeah, same same word. Um, wow. <laughs> so uh, so he's having season ending surgery. The Rangers now, by the way, if I can find this, are now up to four hundred and fifty-eight games missed or games spent on the disabled list, which is about a hundred and fifty more than the next closest team. So they have been They've been uh, bitten by the injury bug, as they say. So the thing with Fielder that that caught my attention is that this is not necessarily a new injury. It maybe has gotten worse, but it's something that bothered him last season. So he, he informed the Rangers about this injury, I guess it was uh, last week, and uh, he said it was just some, some stiffness in his neck, and they gave him a shot, and they at first didn't think it would be that bad. Um, But during that conversation, he told them that the stiffness had bothered him some during the 2013 season, but that he hadn't told anyone. And, uh, you know, Ron Washington or John Daniels said that they they figured that this was probably responsible for his his decline in power last year, his decline in power this year. And uh, and so now he he has disclosed it, but it's reached the point where he has to have season ending surgery. And this is now this is the the third injury in recent days where this has sort of been the pattern, the, the player divulging something that he had not told the team about. Uh, Jose Fernandez had a, a similar situation where he he said he felt a pinch in the start before his final start. Um, he didn't tell anyone about it. If I can find the comments here in the, the million tabs that I have open here. Uh, he said uh, he felt sore. He felt a little pinch. Um, he did say that you know pitchers feel things all the time when they throw hard pitches, um, but he he went into pitch knowing he wasn't a hundred percent. He said, "I still did it to me in my mind. I said I can't do this to my team. We're still in first place. 
I'm 100% out for my team. I can't let them down right now. And uh, he said, I was trying not to let anybody see that I was in a little pain. I was trying to pitch with it without letting anyone know, not even Jared Saltalamachia. Uh, and then he says that it's tough that it happened. Nobody can take it back. It's nobody's fault. It's sad, but I don't blame nobody. If I blame anybody, I blame myself. And uh, he said he has no regrets. He, it was his call. Probably wasn't the smartest thing, but this is my team and I give my life to my team. Uh, and he says, hopefully I'm going to learn from it. So so that's the second case. And then Felix DeBrant had a similar case. Uh, he, he had some sort of shoulder injury f- before he started a game for the Red Sox. He said he bumped into a car door, which sounds sounds a little bit like a Jeff Kent <laughs> injury. But, um, but that was his explanation of what happened. He said it was a weird feeling. He still went out and pitched, and he experienced discomfort, and he began to show diminished velocity, and uh, he he got four innings. I think he pitched into the fifth. He gave up five runs. The Red Sox lost the game, and John Farrell said uh, that he should have said something about it. We, we can't go back. If he felt it was that severe, he would have said something about it. In his mind, he didn't feel like it was going to hinder his ability to pitch. So this is not new. We've we've seen this sort of thing before. Ike Davis had a concealed injury last year. And I'm, you know, we can't say in any of these cases whether, whether history could have been altered, whether if the player had said something earlier, he could have avoided suffering a serious injury. You know, if Fielder had disclosed this discomfort that he had last year and had had that surgery, say, in September or October— He'd be back at full strength now, so you can in Detroit, right? <laughs> Maybe yes. Uh, so you can you can kind of play that game, but but who knows? You know, Jose Fernandez. By the time he's feeling pinches in his elbow, maybe it's maybe it's too late to to do anything about it. But I wonder uh, what you would do if you were in a front office, if you were a manager, if you were a coach, to foster some sort of clubhouse culture where players felt like they could tell you about these things. And I asked. Gabe Kepler about this, um, you know, whether he had any experience with this sort of thing, what, what he felt teams could do. And he said that as with anything related to drive, team loyalty, et cetera, player behavior and inevitably club behavior is highly variable. And so is the solution to the lack of injury disclosure. But he said that from his personal experience, he gave me eight variables that went into his decision. Oh, I love Gabe Kapler. Me too. <laughs> uh, he gave me eight variables that, that went into his decision when he was feeling something about whether he would say something. So his first, and I don't know whether these are in order of importance or not, but I gather that they are. So he says, first one, pain tolerance, how much his performance was suffering as a result. Second one, the needs of the club in the moment. Three, the possibility that the injured area would become more severe and what the long view was based on his personal risk assessment. Four, the time of the season. Five, the current status with the team. Would he lose his starting job? Would a long rehab assignment be necessary? Six, personal mental fatigue. Would a DL stint allow regeneration of energy? Seven, would the decision to be placed on the DL be taken out of his hands if he disclosed the injury? And eight, contract status. So you look at these variables for the three players we're talking about. I mean, for for Fielder, certainly contract status is, is not a part of this. He, he has his long-term contract. 
for Fernandez, he doesn't. But, you know, none of these guys was really, particularly Fielder and Fernandez, in a position where they were in any danger of losing their job or something. You can certainly understand if you're if you're the 25th guy in the roster, then you might not want to give your team any reason to choose the 26th guy who's available to them and is probably just as good, you know, when, when you're at full strength. So why give them a reason? But Prince Fielder, Jose Fernandez, that is not a consideration for them. Um, and, and, you know, Fernandez said that he was doing this for his team. The Marlins are contending right now. He, he wants to be there for his team. But, of course, the, the incentives of the player and the team in most cases, I would say, are, are pretty closely aligned, right? I mean, especially if it's a, a player like Fernandez who is, you know, going to be a Marlin for the foreseeable future. He's not, he's not an impending free agent or anything. The Marlins want him to pitch now. They want him to pitch in the future. They, they, they aren't going to recommend, you know, that he do something that would go against his interests, although he, he might believe that to be the case if he were not as well informed as the team perhaps, but what would, what would you do? Would you sit players down and have one-on-one talks with them? Would you, is there anything that you can do or is this just a kind of an institutional hazard with extremely competitive people? Yeah, I'm not, I don't even know how much it's necessarily an extremely competitive people problem, Uh, especially because, you know, I mean, Jose Fernandez is, he's smart enough to know that injuries beget injuries. That's how pitching works. And um, that if he is really extremely competitive and wants to win a lot of games uh, in his life, then he needs to take care of injuries. Uh, like <laughs> apparently like this, not though, right? It's, it's I mean, like apparently well, he is not. No, I'm gonna. I'll. I'll. I'm, I mean, I'm gonna. I'm gonna keep talking, but <laughs> okay. um, and maybe I'll say something. But it first of all, it is really interesting because you know you hear um, you hear a lot about this in football um, because in football nobody's contracts are guaranteed. Yeah, and so if you bow out with a knee injury, they just let you go. And right. so people just play through it. And um, and I guess the fact that you've named three in the last week doesn't mean that this is comparable to football necessarily. Uh, I don't know how many of these there are in football. Maybe every single player is playing through uh, the equivalent of Felix Dubron's injury. Uh, but it's interesting because, the, like you said, there's no, there's no personal incentive for these guys to lie. I mean, uh, like the most obvious answer to this question of how do you make players take care of themselves uh, in the long term instead of the sh- instead of just being focused on the short term is well give them guaranteed contracts and there's only one person in the world with more guaranteed contracts than Prince Fielder right <laughs> um, so that's apparently not the answer I think the thing about it is that you hear these guys say all the time and particularly pitchers but everybody they're playing with some discomfort every day. They're right. playing with, with something that is painful or something that is uncomfortable or something that is less than optimal. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that they get they don't know necessarily how to tell the difference between mm-hmm. one of those suboptimal situations and another. And they don't know yeah. how to identify. And so it's basically like not being able to tell the difference between a one-day toothache and a, you know needing a root canal. If you need mm-hmm. a root canal... There's just no point ignoring it. It's not like it's going to go away. You need to get a root canal, and if you don't get that root canal, it's just going to get worse. Mm-hmm. But everybody's had toothaches that went away, that weren't root canals, that weren't even cavities. Yeah. Um, 
And so I just don't know that these guys, like, it seems to me that it, the problem might just be that the human body uh, playing under a, a certain level of, you know, strain every day uh, is is just going to kind of always um, have a kind of degree of uncertainty about what is natural and what is a problem. And, and I don't know that these guys are able to self-diagnose. I guess if I were to to think about a solution, it would really be trying to figure out a way to teach them how to self-diagnose so that they know when a pinch is more than the other pinches. Mm. I, I mean, I would try to convince them not to even try to self-diagnose because the thing with the with going to the dentist, I, I mean, I understand if, for most people going to the doctor is a pain. You have to take time off from work and you have to schedule things and you have to wait in the waiting room and it costs money and maybe you don't have health insurance and it's it's a mess. It's a it's, there's a lot of disincentive not to do it. If you are a player, you have free health care. You have trainers whose job it is to tend to your every need. You can walk down the hall and say, this hurts. Is that bad? You know, does this mean anything? I'm just checking. And and there's a there's probably a, a culture that discourages this. And I don't know whether it's like a macho thing or what, you know, I mean, like occasionally you'll, you'll hear a player who gets criticized for not playing through pain. Like I wrote something earlier this year about Dexter Fowler and the Rockies, and he had a bunch of nagging injuries while he was with the Rockies. And uh, Dan O'Dowd made some comments about how maybe he didn't really want to play. He wasn't doing his best to be in the lineup and Fowler defended himself and said, I was hurt and I'm not going to, you know, put my career in jeopardy and all, all of these things. And so maybe, maybe there's pressure from the top because, because you might not want your players to take the day off every time they feel something, because it's possible that if a guy just has some, some soreness or something insignificant that he might still be your best option on that day. You know, if, if the fall off from him to play, to to option B is significant enough, then then you might want him playing sore or tired or a, a bit banged up instead of the other guy. But still, I if I you know, it seems to me like if you could encourage people to use the medical staff and the training staff as a resource and just defer to them and let them make the decision about whether something that hurts is serious or not. I don't know that I agree with you. I, I think that there's, um, I mean, I think this goes to the fact that, well, okay. So if we start with the presumption that everybody has got something uncomfortable every day mm -hmm. and that most players are not injured most days, right? then what you're essentially setting up is a system for an enormous number of false positives. And yeah. then you've got then you've got a system that is strained to keep up with everybody that doesn't quite know how to necessarily find the the real positives. I mean, this is like uh, I mean, there's a, there's a downside to going into a trainer every day with a non injury and making him spend time on on you, especially if the trainer is prone to be cautious. And every time you go in there with a with a something that turns out to be a nothing. It costs you a day of, of play. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't actually know that that's necessarily true. This to me seems like the sort of thing where false positives could be really uh, costly and that you want to have something in place to keep false positives from overwhelming your staff. Well, have a bigger staff. You could hire five trainers for a, you know what Prince Fielder makes in a week. 
Um, you could, but Prince Field. Look, hey, Prince Fielder was gonna probably was gonna get hurt anyway. And if you're the Tigers, this worked out perfectly <laughs> for <laughs> you. Yes, for him it did. Uh, in this in this case, I guess you could you could say that makes Dave Dombrowski look smart again. But um, but if he had if he had already been traded to the Rangers or if he had stayed in Detroit, then then you could say the opposite is the case. And for every for every false positive that costs a guy a day, if you can save, you know, if you could have Prince Fielder operated on in October and save three to four months of Prince Fielder instead of someone much worse than Prince Fielder, that would that would probably help you in the long term, I would think. Well, I, if you yeah, could I, prevent I think, one Tommy John surgery for an ace, uh, you know. I think in October, every single ligament and joint and everything in every player should just be replaced. You should <laughs> just get a brand new one. Just mm-hmm. new new body in October. Uh-huh. Well, that's the other question. The, the Rangers have taken some heat for not finding out about this on their own, which I think is... Probably unfair. He Fielder did not undergo a, a full physical at the time of the trade. I don't know whether he had had one recently. Of course, they had access to his medical records and everything. And the Tigers didn't know about this. So uh, they did not subject him to a full physical. And even if they had, he had a physical in spring training. This is not necessarily the sort of thing that that a physical would pick up unless the player would, unless the player said something, unless he said, I'm, I'm experiencing some stiffness or weakness or whatever it is. Um, Daniel said, in this case, a cervical MRI, at least for us, has not been part of our standard physical. A guy that had no history and no documentation, no treatment and no issues that anyone was aware of. Had we done a physical, we wouldn't have done a cervical MRI. And then he says, there may be other clubs that do this as standard practice. We're going to look into that. The bigger question is, how do we get better? So that's the other question, I guess, is if you can't necessarily trust players to tell you what they're feeling, then do you just operate under the assumption that everyone is hiding an injury? And when you make a major move that could cost you millions of dollars if the guy is hurt or or tank a season if the guy's hurt? Do you just subject him to every test under the sun to find something that he might not have told you about? Maybe, and and also maybe at the risk of opening up a whole new branch of infinite false positives, maybe we're just getting to the point where a team with hit FX and field FX and mm. all the other FXs will be able to spot. I mean, it was clear right. in, in retrospect it was clear in Prince Fielder's performance. Now, yeah. it's also clear in lots of other players' performance who don't need cervical surgery or whatever. I mean, lots of players uh, go downhill, decline, uh, just like Prince Fielder did. So it's hard to separate the one who has cervical cancer or whatever from the other. What does he have? <laughs> you are just mangling your anatomy today. <laughs> he, has, he needs <laughs> cervical surgery, though. Yes. So, so cervical is the adjective for of or relating to the cervix. Uh, it's, uh, so cervical cancer is cancer of the cervix. Cer- no, cervical surgery no is... No cancer involved here. No, I know, but cervical surgery then would be surgery of the cervix. Cervix is the one of the parts of the female reproductive system that lies between the body uterus and vagina i believe that there are cervical vertebrae in the back that are distinct (laughs) 
<laughs> I think we need to we need to have Corey Dawkins on too. We need to send you to like <laughs> send you to like sex ed class or something. You I need to know. send me to. You're the one who's talking about Prince Fielder's cervix, Ben. <laughs> you're, you're right. Maybe we should both go. Um, uh, so anyway, the point is that um, I don't know. Maybe in a, uh, all I'm saying is that maybe in 15 years in the dystopian futuristic landscape, this will all be irrelevant because you'll be able to tell in like three plate appearances via the various FXs who's yeah. performing suboptimally. And you'll just, that's another that's thing we were talking about, right? When we were talking about Robert Arthur's stuff on, on how pitchers have pitched to hitters and whether, whether, you know, the, whether we can tell from how players are pitching to other players, whether those players are, are hurt or are declining or something. And we, we sort of said that that if you have an advanced scout who's following a player on a team and you're looking at all the numbers that you should be able to pick up on this sort of thing, right? But but Fielder was hiding a pretty serious injury that was clearly affecting his performance. And But, but Robert, wasn't Fielder one of Arthur's breakdown candidates? Uh, was he? I don't know. I think he was. I'm going to look and we'll edit this out. If he wasn't, that'd be embarrassing for everybody. But I think I think he was. Uh, let's see. By the way, that piece was great. Did yeah. You, did you read that piece? <laughs> having edited it? Yes. That piece was so good. These pieces uh-huh. are so... Like his last three pieces... I think are like the highlight of the seat of the site over the last two years. I just wow. think they're so they're so exciting and awesome. I can't recommend them enough. Yeah, uh, yeah. Prince Fielder was one of his uh, his breakdown mm-hmm. candidates. Okay, so that's interesting. So you, so does that make you question Rangers scouting ability that they were not able to pick up on this lifting serious injury? No, I mean it's the thing is that I mean you know even if you think okay well there's X percent chance that Prince Fielder is injured and is going to need surgery and it might ruin his career, but there's X percent chance that he's not. And this is a fluke. And so you just play your odds. I mean, the fact is that the Rangers needed Fielder more than they needed Kinsler. The trade made sense. Maybe it made enough sense overwhelmingly to even ignore this problem. I mean, maybe they could have looked at this and said, triple the, triple the medicals, triple right. the, the physicals. So I guess in, in that sense, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it, you you've just got to weigh the you've got to weigh the risks here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, look, you know who else was on Robert Arthur's breakdown list? Troy Tulowitzki. <laughs> he has a very good. Uh, there's he explains why very yes. well. So you should read that. This article is very good. So, mm-hmm. uh, but anyway, the the point is just that it's you know baseball is very complicated. It's very hard to, to say anything conclusively. Can you say that the Rangers did something wrong? Probably. Yeah, you can probably say the Rangers did something wrong. I would say in this case. Does it mean that they have something systemically wrong? Probably not. Hmm. Hot take. Relatively hot take. Someone did something wrong. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, well, I asked Russell Carlton about this also, just because he he's written a lot about clubhouse chemistry and, and players' psyches. And, and he made the point that, uh, first of all, these are overwhelmingly young guys, not so young in, in Fielder's case, but certainly in Fernandez's case. He is... He's 21 years old, and and Russell has written before about how you don't even finish maturing mentally until you're older than that. And uh, so at that age, maybe you're not necessarily thinking long term. And he also he made the the macho pride point. You don't want to be the the guy who's seen heading into the trainer's room every time he feels a, a twinge because uh, you get a reputation as not tough enough. So Russell said that you would have to you'd have to sell it as 
you are doing this for the team, right? You'd have to turn it on its head, sort of. Fernandez, Fernandez said that he didn't say anything about the injury because he wanted to help his team. He wanted to keep pitching. So you'd have to somehow convey the message that that is the opposite of helping a team, that the best way that you could help the team is by disclosing whatever pain you are feeling so that you can continue to pitch. I, I don't know everything. I don't know what's going on in these guys' brains. But I have to just say, to me, this sounds like an answer that you give because it sounds good. But I don't really buy it. I think that guys go into the trainer's room all the time for, for whatever reason. I mean, everybody knows that uh, you know being gone for three months is bad for the team. Uh, my guess is that this is not actually part of their calculus. If they feel like there's a problem and they feel like something needs to be taken care of, they go, I mean, look, half the league's on the DL right now. How did those guys all end up on the DL? <laughs> they went to the trainer. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, eventually you, you get to that point. You just want to, if you can, stop it before it does get to that point wherever possible. I don't know. It's something that I would... Uh, and I, I talked to uh, Jamie Reed, who's the, the Rangers trainer, when I was writing something about concussions earlier, and I was asking him how he how he tries to get people to reveal these things, because concussion is not necessarily something you can tell by looking at someone. You have to have the player come forward often. So... He said that more and more he has emphasized that he's delivered that message. He sits down with all the players in spring training and he tries to tell them that it is in their best interest to come forward with these things that you, you know, if you're a player, if you're a young guy who's trying to hold on to his roster spot, you don't want to play hurt because chances are you'll play worse and you'll lose your roster spot for for an even worse reason. The team won't think you're good enough. Um, so there's that. And so he he said that he tries to drive home that message and and I feel like I would... I would probably um, I would probably make that a, a, a constant refrain if I were a manager or if I were a trainer, I would just tell everyone no shame in false positives, no shame in complaining about something that isn't serious. If we can save one one thing that is serious, then it's worth it. So um, Cliff Lee, by the way, is another guy who was pitching for three weeks through pain in his elbow before he, just recently hit the DL. I don't know whether he disclosed it or not. That wasn't clear to me. But obviously something that happens all the time doesn't necessarily turn into anything more serious, but occasionally it does. So it seems like something worth worth devoting some, some thought and resources to. All right. So that is that. Please support our sponsor, Baseball Reference. Go to baseballreference.com. Use the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription to the Play Index. We are going to take the long weekend, so we hope that you enjoy your long weekend and join us again on Tuesday. Please send us emails for next week at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Please join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. And please rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And we will be back on Tuesday.